0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and
1: welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, sponsored by Flying Penguin Graphics, audio production by Kieran Mimont. And here's your host, Curtis Brown. Hello everyone and welcome back to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, where emerging creatives and producers can gain insight from established and respected producers about what it takes to become successful in the TV, film, or theater industry, or any industry that has a producer. I'm your host, Curtis Brown, and I am joined by the man who makes this whole thing sound very good, Kieran Niemont. Hello, Brew. Hello, Brew. How are you, sir? Fantastic. And you? I'm yeah, I'm okay, man. Dude, you were working in London yesterday, weren't you?
0: Yeah, I don't tell anyone that yet.
1: A, see, now it's not a secret. It's not a secret. Uh, wait, yeah, did I just like now? Is Mi6 gonna like show up at your door and they're like, gonna, no, like, no, no, no. It's just uh, something's. I mean, I posted about it, so it's not. It it wasn't top secret. But. What a world, eh? What a world <laughs> that we live in that we're like. Wait, see, because like posting is like this big thing now. Do you know? You know, you're not actually technically supposed to take pictures of like the proscenium well like i guess like the stage like before wicked like that is technically like you're not technically supposed to like do that do you know that like that's like an actual legal thing i think i think i used to have like a teacher that used to 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 do that they used to literally be like if i catch any of you guys doing that i'll call the (laughs) lawyers and i was like right okay well probably that's like probably a thing that you would do but like also like just teach me Just the lesson. Just teach me the lesson. Like, teach me how to, like, trick myself out of getting out of handcuffs in Chicago, the musical, but don't actually, like, lock me up. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Well, no, I don't, think, I don't think anyone from MI6 is going to come after me, so... Well, no, um, I know. We'll slash, why would they later. ever be listening to this podcast? <laughs> why would any Why would anyone at Mi6 be like, man? I wonder what producing is like. No, I mean, I mean, from the the from the Instagram post, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, from the Instagram post, they're not going to come after you, man. No, I mean, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we're like way off on this now. Um, I wanted to make a quick shout out. I mean, I I said literally before this, Kieran was like, so what do you want to talk about? And I was like, oh, nothing. I'm just going to get straight to it today. And now we're we're ending up talking about James Bond. Okay. Um, There's a few things I did want to actually say, though, before today's episode, and that was that Casey Klein... Is the guy who does our intro, and he does a lot of our graphic work for Twitter and Facebook. The the cover art's by Jake Foy, but the Casey Klein did our our opening and did our does our graphic art for Twitter and Facebook, as I said, for promotional purposes. But I just wanted to give him a shout out. We love him as much as he loves Chana Masala. So for strangers, that means a lot. He literally loves Chana Masala. Uh, We should get to our interview now. So our guest today is very special. We discussed the importance of keeping connections, how previous jobs influenced her, navigating the writer-producer relationship, diversity, and a whole lot more. She champions a lot of amazing artists, um, and I believe she's the future of what producing is. So Kieran, take us away. Our guest today has achieved more in two years than some people achieve in a lifetime, and she can't even legally drink in the States. She is a creative producer and company director of a company that, if I tell you the title, it will spoil this whole introduction. But what I can tell you is that it is a London-based theatrical production company working in the commercial and subsidized sectors that specialize in creative theater production, podcast production, general management, and research and development of plays and musicals. Over the last two years, she has produced some 20 shows and is currently associate producing the new West End show, Death Drop, a Dragatha Christie murder mystery. That credit has garnered her the title as the joint youngest producer and female producer on the West End. Not a big deal. She is also the creator and producer of the 2020 Graduate Spotlight Initiative, which shines light on graduates who did not get to perform in their final shows or showcases due to COVID-19. Among other notable accomplishments, she is course credits from the National Theatre, Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in Harvard, is currently in social anthropology at the London School of Economics and Political Science, and has been described as the class of a waitress with the friendliness of a Sainsbury's. Welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, Amina Hamid. So much for that. I really like that you included my uh, my shops. Oh, um, did, did you? Is, is this where you shop? Is Waitrose and uh, Sainsburys?
0: I don't actually. I actually shop at well because it's nearest to me, the Co-op, which is really bad, but but my friend was describing me as, as shops. And so I'll take it. I think it's good.
1: <laughs> I think it's a very good thing. I mean, I had to, I, I always try and find a good tagline for the end of the, uh, for the end of everyone's introductions. And I was going through yours and I had seen a tweet about a dream that you had with Colin Firth. And I was like, this could possibly be one. And then you had another one. I think you had another one about wanting a dog, but then you might get a goldfish instead. I really need to
0: stop tweeting
1: is what you're (laughs) telling (laughs) me. One way I like to start off my interviews is by asking the same question as the first question, because I think it informs a lot about what this podcast really is about, which is, you know, about the journey of producing, but also how unique each and every one is and that doing it your own way is the right way because there is no right way. Anyway, uh, so what I wanted to ask you was, how did you start producing?
0: Um, so I sort of, I think quite, it's quite common for producers to say I started producing by accident. I just started by accident slightly earlier than most people. <laughs> um, but essentially, I, when I was at school, I had, um, in my final year, uh, who wasn't even my physics teacher, was somebody else's physics teacher, wrote a musical. And he'd written one before. Um, and I was like, this guy he kind of, he's kind of good at this. These are kind of good. Um, and so the first thing I ever produced and produced is uh, like in inverted commas in the best of ways, um, which meant like I did everything. I was the tech person, all of the things. Um, at one point I had to find socks. So like <laughs> everything you could. <laughs> um, and so I, I, did that show. It was called Gedanken in your heart and we developed it, did an R and D of it. And then never really did anything with it um, because everyone who was in it went to study different degrees and do completely different things. Um, but from that, I sort of went, oh, I like, I don't like doing all of these things, but I like the the sense of this. What What is this? Um, and then from there, I went to find out what a producer was. And I did that course with the National Theatre um, and sort of went, oh, I can I can do most of this stuff. Um, I just didn't, nobody told me this was a job. Um and then yeah and so and so ever since i've been a producer which is mad
1: <laughs> you know as different as everyone's journey is and how they approach producing and how they get to become a producer the similarity is that everyone discovers producing without really discovering what it was and what i mean by that is they're doing an they're doing a show they're a part of a production and they go well what's this side of it and then someone goes well this is producing so they they were interested in the producing part without actually even knowing that that had a title. And now all those people have gone off to be very successful, including yourself. Um, now I would say that this entire industry is based off of who you know. And I know you. I know you. you do you have a drama teacher that was really helpful for you? I do, wow. Yeah, you um, had a, I, I, know th- I know that you had a, a drama teacher that was really helpful for you and you applied at your local theater and you didn't get a job, but then you ended up getting another job because of the connection you made. So my, my question to you was, who were you contacting at the start of your producing career?
0: Everyone. Um, everyone and anyone who would email me back. Um, and, I, to, and having said that, I've been very lucky in that I've never had a bad experience with someone I've called emailed. Um, okay, I've had one, but I'm not going to, I can't talk about it. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't throw them under the bus.
0: Um, but generally, no, I've, I've always been received really well and it's been really nice. Um, but yeah, I, I had this drama teacher when I was um, really young, ever since I was, I think she was my teacher from when I was eleven. Um, and she was amazing and was so cool and had done all this stuff. And her husband was like a photographer and, and an art teacher at the school. And, and it was just such a cool couple. And I was like, oh, she's so cool. And she is the person that told me what directing was. Um, and so I was like, this is, I don't like this being on stage malarkey. I don't want to do that. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and so that's how, and then I kind of, that's so like, for me, that was a really big thing. And so um, as you say, it is about who you know. And I think when I was younger, the really what I was really lucky to have when I was younger, I was saying that like I'm 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 like 12. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I was when I was younger, um, I was very lucky in that I had a lot of inspirational people who also believed in me. And that was what taught me the power of people. Um, and the power of being nice to everyone you meet, because people remember. Um, <laughs> like I, Everyone remembers. Um, and so, yeah, so I then went on to, um, and I was doing youth theatre, terribly acting in youth theatre pieces, <laughs> um, and I had a, a brilliant youth theatre director, and then from there went back and went, oh, well, I to be honest, I was going to go and study law at university and that was going to be my, my big thing. Um, and I'm so glad that didn't happen, but I missed my grades um, and had always wanted to do theatre and went, right, I'm going to take a year out and I'm just going to go all at it and I'm going to see what I can do. Um, and so I, I applied to the local theatre to be their youth theatre assistant, didn't get the job um and then started talking to the uh, like lead producer there um about what producing was and learning more and he's been like a huge part of my career since then and and has really helped me learn what producing was and and get to where I am now and so it was from that that I kind of went wow it's really it's really about people and it's really about building those connections.
1: And were you reaching out to uh, like Katie Lipson, Sonia Friedman's were you reaching out to were you reaching out to them as well? I didn't.
0: Although I do, I because um, I know Katie was your first episode, wasn't she?
1: She was our first guest. So I
0: never, so I was always like, she's so inspirational and so cool. And I'm absolutely terrified. <laughs> um, and then I got onto the watch, like stage one, um, which is uh, like essentially for new producers in the UK. That's right. Um, and I got onto their Bridge the Gap program. And one of the things they do is they give you a mentor. Um, and Katie is my mentor.
1: No. Um,
0: and it was, it yeah, <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. And I had this, I, the first meeting we had was we were sat in a prep next to King's Cross. It was like nine in the morning because we were both ridiculously busy running around doing things. Um, and I just sat there and listened to Katie, like talk about being Katie and being amazing. And I was like, she is Ch-
1: wow. <laughs> she's a powerhouse. She is yeah. a powerhouse. Yeah. She's, she's very, very great. She's very nice Absolutely. too, as well. And I know yeah. that's what we were talking about as well as that, you know, people and being nice and, and people remember, you know, and I think, and I also think what's interesting is in what you said previously was that, you know, you took a gap year out and you were like, you know what, I just need to do it. And that's a lot of what the producers come on here and say is that you really just need to do it. And, you know, while you may have an idea, the finances are a huge roadblock for making a lot of projects become a reality. So as an emerging producer, where were slash are you getting your funding?
0: Um, so I did a lot of subsidized work before I moved into doing commercial stuff. I think like the way that my career works, it's very much to not, I wouldn't say distinct, but two paths. And one, which was always me going, I want to be making those musicals that I watched when I was younger. And one, which was me going, I want to make really, really great theatre as well. Um, and and do and I want to be doing that. And I think it's kind of faster to go in the the fringe and subsidised route in the UK, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did a lot of stuff that was funded by the Arts Council. Um, I am really proud of the fact that I've never done a job for free, technically. Um, I've done something on expenses, which, uh, so I said I didn't get paid, but I've never done a job, which I'm really proud of. And I don't know why I'm just, it's just a, hey, really that's a
1: very good thing to be proud of. <laughs> Being paid for your work is number one.
0: Um, but yeah, and no, it's absolutely. So I started there and then when it came to finding investors and finding, um, I really just went any, angle. a lot of it was LinkedIn. Um, I did a lot of connected people on LinkedIn, <laughs> Um, and just, and it was really, it got to a point where I was like, do you know what? I just need to, I need to raise money for these shows. And so I'm gonna, I'm just going to message people on LinkedIn and if they're interested, they're interested. And if they aren't, I didn't know them anyway. Um, it's LinkedIn. So that was, that was what I did. And I, I had this kind of free month of LinkedIn where I messaged like a hundred different people <laughs> and, and got a lot of hits back with people being like, oh, actually that's like, this sounds interesting. Or let's talk or people going, I want to support you, but this is one, a weird way to approach people and two I don't want to support this show or that kind of thing and so it was really just I got to a point where I didn't have the time for I think what was it I said I didn't have the time for um shame really I didn't have the time to be I was like I need to raise money for this show or it's gonna look like and so therefore I I just had to start approaching
1: people That's one of the reasons I wanted you on the show is because you have such a new perspective of thinking of things and you, because, because you are young, I just think you see things from a different lens than every other guest that we've had on here using LinkedIn, using Twitter. Twitter was how you got your first job, if I'm not mistaken, either, wasn't it? Yeah. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying is that you're going through avenues that most people would never even think of. They'd probably be looking in like the, the phone book for numbers, whereas you're going, wait, what? Why don't I just get a free trial and just start sending out messages? And as you say, there's no shame in trying. And if you don't try, then you'll never know either, right?
0: Absolutely. I think there was um, something that always sticks with me is the only job you'll never get is the one you didn't apply for. Um, and it's it's and it's like obviously this isn't it's not a job that I'm applying for, but it's it's the same principle. I, like if I don't email that person, I'm never going to get a reply. But if I do, I might. <laughs> Slightly more likely. Um, and I think it's just absolutely that of of kind of what can I, w- like, I may as well. I mean, like, just may as
1: well. I know.
0: Um, yeah, that's, that's really
1: where it is. And, you know, another thing that I liked about your career is how well-rounded it is because you've got producing, you've got creative producing, you've been a festival curator, you've been a general manager, and I'm pretty sure you have sound designed and lit something as well. Now, one thing that sticks out to me is your creative producing behind podcasts. And I know that you're in a few different ones as well. Now, how is your creative producing being most effective in a podcast format? What does that job look like?
0: Um, Well, essentially, I I think the best way to explain it is how I started doing podcasts in the first place, which is so funny now because people who are making audio plays come to me and go, you've done this. And I'm like, I've been doing it for very few months. Um, (laughs) I really just dove in and did not like, um, but essentially it started from when COVID happened and and when like the UK went into lockdown and I think particularly around the world went into lockdown. Um, I got a message from a friend who I actually met through university, because as you say, I also, for some reason, do a degree in social anthropology. <laughs> um, and we'd met once, I think. And then um, they sent me this message and went, hey, I've got this idea and I know that you produce things and, and I'm just wondering what you think. And, and um, they're a writer and they also are an editor, which makes life so much easier, <laughs> Um, and so then I sort of didn't know them very well, didn't know their writing kind of went, yeah, I mean, let's do it. And we, and we adapted, uh, write Ho Jeeves, um, by PG Woodhouse, which, and it's really funny and it's like really good. <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh, well, I think we could work together again. Right. Um, and then from that went on to, and, and all the work I do is in new work. Um, mm. And so from that went on to a four hour phone call of us going, we have to do something for Halloween. We both really like Halloween. What can we do for Halloween? Um, and I really like Lord Byron and and uh, Mary Shelley and that kind of group of people. I just find them really interesting. And so we had this discussion about when they were all stuck in this house in summer and, they, and Mary Shelley tells Frankenstein and they all tell stories. And from that, it became a pub. Um, And then from there, it became like these classic monsters telling each other's stories. And I think the really fun thing about working on these podcasts, and particularly working with Delmar, who's the writer, is that we just like, we have these insane phone calls and they are based in Australia. So it's, it's not like, they're wow. at like 9am or 9pm. Um, right. <laughs> they're just absolutely insane. And we plan out this entire podcast and then Dama goes away and, and like does a breakdown of what the script should be and, and um, brings it back to me. And then we have a chat and it's just, it's so much fun to work that way because I have written, I'm not a writer um it's a lot of trial and error in finding producing right. and going around the houses but um so it's really nice to kind of go I have this really cool idea and I just need someone to sort of realize it um and so I really enjoy being on that creative side and doing that kind of thing and and leading there and I think um audio plays is a really interesting thing to do right now because so like, because they're all podcast plays um because you can really get immersed in whatever that space is. And I remember when I was younger, um, being in the car with my dad, who'd listened to Radio 4 all the time, um, and they they always had plays on. And I remember distinctly staying in the car when we'd gotten to wherever we were going, because I was like, I need to find out what happens. And it was the (laughs) kind of thing where you're like, this is not a story that I would ever have listened to, but you get so engrossed in it. Um, so I think there's something magical for me about audio and about feeling like you're sat there. And I think when, especially with COVID, I, the, um, Halloween podcast we did, we had actors in LA, in London, in, um, Australia, and we were all recording at like eight in the morning, um, and doing these recordings and, and it sounds like they're all in the same place and they're all in the same room and it's something you just wouldn't be able to do otherwise, um, And I think, yeah, for me, that's that's that was so much fun was being able to create something that really puts people in that place. um, But isn't. But yeah, but isn't hindered by by COVID and and is so creative as well
1: that seems to be gaining a lot of traction as well radio plays radio musicals i'm starting to see more like actual musicals pop up through podcasting which i think is very interesting i think jonathan groff did one um,
0: yes it's called 36 questions
1: see i was not completely off i knew that okay that's great so I, I was like wait i'm gonna like throw a name in the dark here and i know they're in spring awakening or they were in spring awakening but anyway so i was right um that's what i'm saying so it, it's clearly a market and i think it's great that you the initiative i mean similar to what you did with the 2020 graduate spotlight initiative i think it's i think it's just so it, it's another common trend within people that you 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 take your situation and you find a way to adapt it to help you and i think that's something that you've done throughout your whole career and what i also i wanted to ask you is because you've done the producing creative producing festival curator general manager what i wanted to ask you was How have those previous jobs, like what have those previous jobs done for you in helping and informing your producing career?
0: I think, so I would say that producer, creative producer and and general manager can be kind of interchangeable a little bit. Um, so I think those are all really similar, but when it comes to, I did start in sound and lighting design, um, and I did some stuff with, with, with the youth theater for that. Um, and it was really, really great. One because I met and learnt from sound and lighting designers who I then made friends with, and then that like brought me a whole network of of people. Um, but also because it means that when somebody says something, I understand it so much more. Um, I did a technical theatre course at RADA. I didn't, I didn't finish it <laughs> because <laughs> it was eight weeks long. I don't know how I didn't get to the end, but I got a different <laughs> job and, and I had to take it. Um, but I learned so much from it because it was so good to go, oh, these are all of the aspects of producing, um, or of how a show happens. Um, and so when you're producing and you're like sat in, I mean, honestly sat on my sofa writing emails, I know what I'm, what I'm saying when I say to a sound designer, can you deliver this then? And can you do this? And, um, here are the Specs for the for the venue and that kind of thing. I think it's really helpful to know those things, not necessarily in in depth. You don't have to. I don't think you have to study everything, but um, it is really good to know what you're talking about when you're talking to a designer or when you're talking to um, someone, or when you're trying to be programmed as part of a festival. Because oh my god, there are so many people. Um, it's it's just so much. So it was. It's yeah. It's a lot of um, really just understanding how to talk to. People in those roles because you've been there. Um, I also worked in a box office, and I think that is one of the most that was one of the most formative things for me because it's so easy for people to just be horrible <laughs> to the person that works in box office. And actually, one, they're the person who's going to be able to tell you what, how many tickets you've sold, and that's very helpful. But two, they're a human being, and they probably also work in theatre. They're just <laughs> emerging. Like the number of emerging creatives I know who work in a box office as well, and it's just that thing of like. They, you might like talk to them find out what they do and then two years down the line be like oh that's, i know that person in that show and we should work together um also just generally i think you should be nice to people that's just how
1: i was brought up
0: i don't i don't know
1: <laughs> but you're right i mean being nice to everyone is such it's such a pivotal thing and what i wanted to talk to you again uh here about as well was that you focus on a lot of new work correct i do okay so what I want to ask you is how do you navigate the relationship between the writer and the producer? Like, how is that dynamic? Because it can be a very sensitive one. So how do you navigate that?
0: Um, so essentially, one of the things and one of the things that I benefited from in terms of when I, I used to work at the Nuffield as a production assistant, and one of the best things about that was being in a building because... and and I'm just going to, I'm throwing away my secrets here because this is how I facilitate workshops as well. But essentially, um, one, of, one of the things I do is I make people draw a, a building and then like write on each department. And I think it's so easy to forget that like human resources exists. Um, and, I, and for me, that is like as a producer and as a producer of new, new work, that is so, so important um, is to remember the kind of the, the person in it Um, I've had bad writer relationships. I've had good writer relationships. It is, somebody described it like a marriage and I don't think that that's quite fair to it because you're putting, I think too much of your, of yourself into that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is, it's very much, sometimes I will absolutely love a piece of work, but I can't work on it because the writer and I don't click and that's absolutely fine. It doesn't mean anything bad for either of us. It just means that I'm not the right producer for them and they're not the right writer for, the show that I'm working on or or whatever whichever way around it may be um but I've also got really great relationships I um work with a writer called Tabby Lamb, who is absolutely brilliant and like one of the things that they um I took their show to vault and one of the things we did was I'd like give them a hug before every show and we made sure that like that there was that care there and that they didn't have to think about how many tickets were sold because that was a a me thing And, and so it's really about like relationship setting is the main thing that I I sit down and do. And I think firstly I'll have at least two meetings before I take a job officially. Um, I'll say I'm interested. (laughs) I'm very careful about my language. I'll say I'm interested. I'll say like, it sounds really, really interesting. Um, But I'll never, I won't take a job until I've had at least two meetings with someone and really like gauged how we work together Um, and what they're expecting from me and one of the first questions I ask people is what are you looking for in a producer because when people say I'm looking for a producer sometimes they don't know what that means or they might have a different idea of what that means and and I like to be involved in a certain way and and the way I work is a certain way and so there's certain things that that just making sure that that all lines up Um, when it comes to commissioning writers on the other side of that um I tend to it tends to be writers whose work I've seen and and really enjoy um and then I do the same thing but just on the reverse and check that they are the right like the right person for the show and and all of that thing um I think I encourage this is this is but I mean it's cool I want to be a producer but I encourage anyone who writes to make sure that you are when you're picky about your producer um because I think it is like especially with new work it is your sort of child a little bit and you need to be like it needs to be someone you really trust to kind of like raise that with as it were and to and to look after it and to also sometimes like cut bits out of it (laughs) and change it. It's now very scary that I've used child as an analogy. Um but yeah I think it really is about it's about relationship setting and being as careful as you can about that. Um and not diving in feet first, I think. Um, cause it's very tempting to, and to go, I absolutely love this script. And then you find out, and I have, you find out a month down the line that that was not a good idea. Right. You don't want to be working with this writer or, or even that it's not even that. And it's that the writer's brilliant, but you just like, I always work on a lot of projects and sometimes there's, there's, there's always a point where I start out and I go, this is how much time I'm going to give you. And this is exactly how much time I'm going to give you. And don't message me at 10 p.m., please, unless right. we are in show week. Right. Um, and so there's a point sometimes where they where they transgress those, those boundaries and you kind of go, look, this is, I'm just going to take you back to the relationship setting that we did at the beginning. And, and sometimes there's points where they're like, well, it was reasonable for them to message you late um, or for whatever they've done. And sometimes there's points where you go, this is the end of this relationship. We'll get to the end of the show and that is it um but it is yeah it's really just about being really careful when you're taking those first steps
1: right so you said in an interview with the beaver i am a producer to tell stories Whether I am a black woman or not, it doesn't affect why I do something. Maybe that sounds super naive. I'm still an activist. I still want to increase diversity in theater. But I don't want all my work to be used as a voice for all black people. To be honest, the voice for all people of color. Because that happens all the time. So when I read that, my question was, what are you looking for in a show?
0: Um, I think... So essentially what I'm trying to say there is um, something that happens a lot. Is, and, and I think it's, it, what I say is slightly naive in that being a Black woman, my identity is politicised. But I, there's this idea that theatre that is, that is diverse can't be commercial. And I think it's an idea that really exists but isn't said out loud a lot? It just is. It's there and it's bubbling under the surface. And essentially, what I what I aim to do in being a producer and why I love Death Drop and why I came on to be an associate on it is because. I just I just want to see diverse theater that isn't because when I was younger, my favorite show was hairspray, and that's great, but now I'm like that's a really problematic like white savior story that I really shouldn't have like I still love it of course, I still love hairspray yeah but but you know with that with that layer on it, and I think for me it wasn't I didn't want to see stories about i don't I don't want to watch like stories about being like in slavery or stories about they're really sad about like racism and police brutality because I know that that exists I do what I want to see is a diverse car and diverse team I think that's the really key thing for me um a diverse team behind it and that doesn't mean like when I think when you say diverse there's like this picture in people's head of just like the what it, like that globe where everyone's hands are different colors and they yeah, yeah 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 and they're all holding hands um, <laughs> but it's not that <laughs> um it's just like a representative group that that you know, you get that experience. I think, um, a show that I always refer to, which, um, I really love for doing this is, um, Come From Away. And I'm going to refer to a very specific moment in Come From Away. So bear with me. Um, but there is a moment where, um, one of the characters who is a black man says that he, he's, he's borrowing barbecues from people and he wasn't worried about, um, and he was initially really worried about getting shot and he, because he was stealing people's barbecues. And then there's a point later where he is drunk and he says, I wasn't worried about getting shot. I wasn't worried about losing my wallet. And it's just that thing of like the I wasn't worried about getting shot is is so racialized and when I listen to that I'm like that's that's hugely racialized but it's just there and it's in there as part of the experience of the character and it makes it so much more rounded and so much more truthful I think because it comes from true stories and and really all I want to see is that represented because as I say I am a black woman but I don't talk about it all the time um and so and like and it's absolutely part of my and parcel of my experience but it's and that's what I want to see in shows is just people including di- those diverse experiences and, and not, and, and I'm absolutely up for seeing shows that are about that experience and are about those, that kind of thing. But I think when it comes to the theater, I want to make, I I made, there was a point when I made a lot of shows about, about grief and about losing someone. And that is because essentially, and, and what kind of what kickstarted me going, I guess I'm just going to do this is when I was, when I was 18, my brother passed away And it was sort of so sudden. And it was a moment that I sort of went, crap, I really, wow, that's, that's not, that's just happened. And, and then everything sort of went a completely different way to the way that it had been planned. And I, and I just kind of had this moment where I went, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do the thing that I want to do. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And that's how I became a producer. And I think it's, I, there was a point where, where because of that, I decided to do a lot of shows about grief and I decided to like really, and then there was a point where I sort of went, really had enough of that. And I don't, and I don't want to be sad and I don't want to be making like producing sad. I want to produce happy and uplifting. And, and, and I think it was the moment that I realized I didn't want to produce happy for happy's sake. I wanted to produce uplifting. And that mm. was, that was the thing because it's really rare to see people who look like me who come from the background that I do in the job that I do or in creative industries at all. Um, And so it was so much of going, just want stories that are like happy and, and that are like the, the kind of the L words of, of me um, and that kind of thing. And so, so when I'm, when I'm looking at shows and something that I always look at is the human element of it and and who's and who's behind it i think if there's a team that i look at and i'm like it's not it's not super interesting to me that also influences it but it is really about reading the script and going i can feel this and this makes me like emo and feel things and and i think that's really that's what i'm looking i'm looking for a good show which is such a terrible thing to say but i'm looking for a good show that that like makes you feel and, and and brings that emotion and those layers in, because I think that's the kind of, and weirdly the best word to use, but that's the kind of color that we're looking for in, in theater now is something that ev- that is representative and everyone can see themselves on stage and off stage in.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many thoughts that I have from what you were just saying there. One I think is Yes. Diverse, diverse, diverse opinions. Because if it's all just one, if everyone's just a yes man, then everything becomes boring. Nothing becomes shaped at all and nothing changes and it's all the same and that's not what it should be. And I also think something that you said right at the end there as well about backstage and on stage, you need to be able to see what you can be. And I yeah. think that needs to change. And I think there needs to be more opportunity for that. And honestly, if there is going to be any bright light out of the darkness of this pandemic, it is that we are able to feel a shift, I think, in how things are about to change. And I think change for the better. Now, listen, I think people can talk, talk and talk. But until actions are actually done, that's a whole other thing. And I think um, what you're saying there is very important. Also like I think what also is great that you said there is that you want a good idea as well. Cause Hey, guess what? We all want to make millions of dollars. Cause wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, the core thing is like, wait, I want to have a good show that I know is marketable that can put bums in the seats, but as well have a message. Like, you know, the dream is to be able to have something as artistically fulfilling as well as money filling as well. Um, I either read or listened to something or an interview that you did and you said, you, you you talked about this, about the recognition of producers, and you said, you're the driving force behind the big practicalities of getting a show from page to stage. If it wasn't for you, nothing would happen. But at the same time, nobody seems to notice. So do you think that should change?
0: Yes. Um, I mean, yes. And no. I think there's, there is, because what I was, what I was saying and what I'm talking about there particularly is the experience of kind of, Independent producers and and so often it's like whose bio gets cut mine (laughs) like just easier we don't have to deal with anything it's just me going I'm let's just put my name at the bottom and so I think it is partially because and it's that always that thing of whose fee gets cut first is the question and and people usually say well it's always the producer and it is this kind of you're expect so much is expected of you and so little credit (laughs) and that's why nobody knows what producers do because. It's kind of every so much so much stuff, um, and that's not to say that other people on projects don't don't do a lot absolutely of course they do it'd be ridiculous to say they didn't um, but I think it's so it's so frequent and it's so like rare for people's kind of names to be out there and that's why I think Katie is amazing as well because her, like you can you know her and you know of her and I think like more people at at like should should know. <laughs> who a producer is beyond Cameron McIntosh, beyond Sonia Friedman, because there are so many amazing and so many amazing producers. Um, But also people should just know it's a job. That's the thing. And and I think that part of the reason they don't is because it's, it's that, oh, so it's just these people. And especially in London, it's the the people who own the theatres or it's Sonia or it's, and so, and they're absolutely brilliant producers and that absolutely should have their names known um, but there are other people that I think should should have their name known too, and and are absolutely brilliant. And um, yeah, I think there is kind of a, a lack of recognition there because when I initially was, and and I think this kind of ties in because so the, the interview I did for the Beaver is because the Beaver is LSE's paper, and um, mm-hmm. and they are, and I also go there, and and what they do is spotlight students who do things outside of the university, and so. I, I was, every time I talk to people at the university and I'm like, I'm a theatre producer. And they're like, so does that mean you, you direct or you do? And to be fair, it's the London School of Economics. I don't, what was I expecting? <laughs> yes. but, um, but it is very much like people just don't know what a producer is beyond owning a building or, or putting your name on something. And it's so much more than putting your name on something, as we all know.
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting job, too, because it involves so many different types yeah. of hats, too. You're shifting gears all the time. You'll be focusing on a budget, and then you'll talk. be talking about casting, and then you'll be talking about why, you know, this bar of music doesn't work because of this part of the section of the show. And it's actually such a, a job that requires so much attention to so many details, but so many details. Yeah. So I want to play a game. It's called uh, Radio Play, and we get to know more about you, Amina Hamid, the person, rather than you, Amina Hamid, the producer. Sound good? Yeah. This is Radio Play. What time do you wake up in the morning?
0: Ooh, 7.30.
1: Favorite musical or play? Uh,
0: Mountaintop by Katori Hall.
1: Current favorite song?
0: Nine to five by Dolly Pond.
1: Current favorite show. TV show.
0: Uh Schitt's Creek.
1: Canadian. What's your biggest pet peeve?
0: People, Um, people this is so weird. People shuffling their shoes on like um, hardwood floors. Just people dragging their feet.
1: You mean like that? They make like those those like really high squeaking sounds? Like yeah, is well, that what you're talking about? The,
0: it's not even, because most normal people don't, rec- normal, but most <laughs>
1: regular people right.
0: don't uh, pick it up. But it's just something really cute for me. It's like when people rub, like, rub their shoes and drag their feet slightly. Oh, yeah. That drives me nuts, a little bit, so
1: <laughs> It's lazy. Pick up your feet. Okay. Country you'd like to visit? Japan. Scale on one to, of one to ten, how good of a driver are you? Ten. Ooh, confidence. I like it. What does a person need to be happy? do you believe in love at first sight no would you rather have more time or more money time if you had the world's attention for 15 seconds what would you say
0: black lives matter
1: love that do you believe in ghosts no do you believe in aliens yes how do you make your cereal milk first or cereal first
0: Aerial
1: first I know people first. I know psychos that's who uh, a piece of art that changed your life
0: um, <laughs> this is very weird I'm actually going to use like an artwork but um, yeah that's what Monet's, That's it's
1: anything yeah well
0: Monet's water lilies um,
1: yeah. wonderful and our last question if you were given the opportunity to fly into space given today's technology would you do it no Really? Wouldn't do that? No,
0: I really hate that. That's absolutely terrifying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's radio play. Um, Those are some really good answers. You had some really good answers there. I like, also, I love the fact that you believe in aliens as well. Like, it's just real. There has to be something. I'm not saying
0: little green men, but I'm saying, you know, something.
1: (laughs) So, wanting to get back to the interview, but something that you do that I love is that you bring people of color, LGBTQ+, people who identify as disabled or differently abled, working class people, regional artists, women, genderqueer theater makers to the forefront of your work. And what I want to ask you is what has been your greatest challenge as a producer for the work that you want to see and the work that you want to be doing?
0: Oh, I mean, this is such a bad answer. Money. Um, that's not a bad answer. Money. I know. But um, that's the I reality. Think- yeah, I've been lucky enough to have people who are, who believe in me and and to have the people behind it and to have the kind of venues and and that kind of thing. It's always been like, so where are you going to get the money from? And and that's always the thing. I'm getting better at that. I mean, that's part of that's part of the job. And that's why I said in the que- the question, time or money? I'd I'd pick time because I think you get more from from having the time to build up that money and to get those people on board and and. Yeah, it's really just. So, if anyone's listening and wants to give me some, that'd uh, be great. Um, <laughs> I'm
1: just kidding. I'm absolutely. But um, you're like my yeah, PayPal no, like is that. this. <laughs> I think I think that's interesting. A lot of it comes down to money, and I actually read a tweet um, that a, a writer in Hollywood had mentioned that you can have a great idea. But if you don't have the money, then it doesn't mean anything. But if you have the money and then you don't have the great idea, it also doesn't mean anything. And also within those two is the execution of the idea and how do you use your resources, etc. That also plays another part. And I just think that's so funny that the common answer is always money. Money plays such a big role. And obviously the work that you've done has been recognized. I mean, people have considered your career as like a rocket ship blasting off into space, a place that you're afraid to go, but that's where you're going. Um, <laughs> your career is going, not you physically. But <laughs> what, 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 what I want to say is, you know, your work is viable. Your work is known. And if you had all the big theater owners, the big West End theater owners, and you had them all in a room and they were listening to this podcast, what would, what would be something you'd want to say to them? And that can be in terms of anything you want. That could be in terms of diversity. That could be in terms of, you know, taking risk on work that they produce. It could be anything.
0: Oh, wow. That is such a terrifying, <laughs> that's scarier than space, that is. <laughs> um, I think, I suppose, um, It's just not, I always do this thing where I where I kind of, talk myself down and I say like take a chance on me it's not a chance it's a really good bet like that's the and I think it's that kind of thing of like yeah take it <laughs> like it's I'm a, I'm a really good bet um I am a bet like it's not going to be a surefire thing but I'm 100% committed to this and yes I am 20 and everyone always tells me what they were doing at 20 and and I also do some of those things. Um, but I'm also a producer and, and I've, and I've been doing this long enough that I know what I'm doing. Um, so I think it's not just, it's not take a chance on me. It's, it's make a bet, make a good bet, um, on me, but also on more producers of color and more working class producers and, Put your money where your mouth is when it comes to diversity, because I think it's such a big thing right now to say we need to diversify, like and particularly the Western, because like, and I absolutely adore. There's some really great producers who fit into this category, but it is that kind of like, like white men, just all, all white men thing, and there are absolutely exceptions to that rule, but I think. If, if you're going to say, oh, we should really diversify this group and we should put your money where your mouth is and, and I'm, I'm here and there are other producers here, like, let's do it. Let's make some, some great theatre.
1: I literally have no comment on that because you took the words right out of my mouth. You're 100% correct. If you want to talk about it, you can talk about it. But put your money where your mouth is. And if you want to see change and the change that you like to tell everyone that you're going to do on your social media, on your little platform, let's start making that change. My question, my last question to you, because I've taken up enough of your time, is what do you want the future of theatre to look like?
0: Um, super. Just loads of really different work and, and loads of new work. I love revivals. I love old shows. Let's not... I love old shows. Um, but, yeah, a lot of new work, a lot of, like... I love musicals, so a lot of new musicals. Um, and just yeah taking chances on on new work and and new people and and yeah more of that more of that kind of thing and and so many and to see more producers on on because it isn't it's this thing of there's this idea that everything's a competition and when it comes to the west end it's all a competition but i think there's there's a limit to that and and work together and and coll- it should be so much more collaborative and um yeah so collaborative I mean, I've already said diverse enough times, um, so that um,
1: and new, fresh stuff. Amina, if there is anything that is new and has fresh perspective, it is you and it is something that this industry needs terribly and it needs it right now. You know, it's so funny because I've you got your first job through Twitter and I actually found out about you through Twitter and when I heard about you, I... I started to learn about who you were, I knew I needed to have you on the podcast. I mean, from only producing two years and having your first West End show open this December, it's just such an amazing thing. And I, I can't thank you enough for your knowledge, your insight and all your generosity. Seriously, thank you. The future is bright and I can't wait for it.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you
1: for having me and yes. for being so kind. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a Proud Stub Production.